I really encourage you this week, it's the beginning of a, a new year, happy new year, uh, it's a new year to, to focus on a time of prayer. Uh, this has been something that we've done here at Portview for several years, is kind of starting off with a, a week where we focus on prayer and fasting, Pastor Mitch touched on it already, um, but it is a time where we say we're, gonna, we're going to set something aside in order to focus more on on God, focus more on prayer, listening to God, a time of talking with God, just getting to know Him. There's a lot of, a lot of great things that happen as a result of fasting. Uh, somebody mentioned to me that uh, Hugh Jackman does it to become Wolverine, right? He fasts and gets really big, and that won't happen to you in one week if you're expecting to look like Wolverine. But there are a lot of great things that come as a result of fasting, setting aside some food, setting aside maybe a TV show you normally watch or, God forbid, caffeine, right? But something that would be kind of difficult so that during that time, we focus into a life of prayer, into a life of just spending time with God. These handouts, most of you got them when you came in, gives you just a few guidelines. We also believe that it's really important that what we do, we do together, right? And so there's some themes each day starting today with a scripture and just an idea. So we all, each day, are kind of looking over a theme and praying around the same theme. I think there's great value in unity. Scripture talks about it over and over and over again. And speaking of doing things together, uh, we have several opportunities to serve God together outside of the four walls and out of the property of Portview. These are ministries that we support on any level, strategic partners, either uh, locally regionally or around the world. And you, through Kingdom Builders, touch people's lives that you will never meet, but hopefully and maybe some of you will meet them. And so, for instance, in just three weeks, we have a group of, I think, 13 or 14 that are going to be going to Las Vegas to support a ministry there and supporting what ministries are going to be happening right before the Super Bowl in, the, in a way of searching for lost children. And so we've got a group going together to do that, but we have one more that I just want to touch on because if you're interested in going, you kind of have to do some preparation, but we're going to do an international trip to Moldova. Uh, Moldova is actually right next to Ukraine where we spent a great deal of our lives, and I love that little country. And we have a couple that we support that has been doing ministry in Moldova for years, and uh, around the dates, we don't have flights yet, around the dates of June 7th through the 15th. We're going to be taking a trip to Moldova. And if you're interested in joining me with that trip, please come and talk to me. We say it this early because uh, some people don't have passports, uh, and uh, some people, their passports have aged out, and it takes a little bit while to, to, to get that. And so we'll talk a little bit more about it as we get a little closer. Well, Pastor Mark and Suzanne aren't here today, and they'll be gone for several weeks. They leave this week uh, to spend some time in Florida. Some of you know that uh, Suzanne has some very unique physical challenges that seem to do better uh, in warm weather when they get very, very difficult. And so they are going to be spending several weeks uh, in January and February here to try to slip away. They wanted to communicate that they are just a phone call away, just a text away, just a message away. That is the great thing about our, our common te technology and they want to stay close. For the next few uh, weeks, we're going to be focusing on the book of Colossians. We're just going to kind of hang out in Colossians, verse by verse. 
Uh, there's a passage that's not in Colossians. Paul, the same writer, is talking to the church in Corinth in which he says, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it yet. Indeed, you are still not ready. Those are kind of harsh words that he's saying to Corinth, but he's basically saying you're only getting just the basics. You're only just hanging out in the basic ideas of Christianity. I've got so much more I want to communicate to you, but you're just not ready for it yet. What happens when we go verse by verse through Scripture is we can't skip anything. There are certain books of the Bible I prefer to read because they're just kind of more enjoyable. I like Proverbs. I like Psalms. I like James, right? I like the Gospels. But by just hanging out in the areas that we like, we sometimes miss some deeper ideas. So, so over the next few weeks, we're going to be um, sometimes going quickly, sometimes going slowly. But the hopes is to just verse by verse come to know a deeper sense of what God is saying to us. So today, just two verses, just two verses, Colossians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God, our Father. Let's pray. Lord, help us today to, out of just an introduction to a letter, Have a sense of what you're doing, where you're going with this, but also how we are able to live and respond. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Times change. I realize it more and more the older I get. When I was growing up, we had pen pals. Did anybody have a pen pal when you were younger? More than I thought, right? And these were pen pals that you actually wrote, yes, right? Actually wrote, right? You write a letter and you send it off and you have to wait a period of time before you get it back. Sometimes it's a couple of days, sometimes it's a couple of weeks, sometimes a couple of months. It's amazing if you ever read that during this whole season of pen pals, right, that a lot of us had over the last, you know, probably 80 or 90 years, some very famous people were part of pen pals. I know that there was a child that regularly wrote back and forth to Nelson Mandela when he was in prison, and they became like regular pen pals. Did anybody here have a famous pen pal? Anybody? No, I didn't either. I don't think that people have pen pals anymore. Maybe some of you do. Even the whole idea of, of communicating at school. When I was at school, I don't know about you, we wrote notes to each other. Right? How many of you wrote notes? You had to be very strategic, how you passed it around the room to get to the other people, right? Make sure some people read it and other people didn't, and made sure the teacher did not see the note, right? That doesn't happen anymore, guys. It's all on our phones, right? So it's texting on our phones and communicating on our phones. In fact, when my kids were younger, a thing came out where... Does anybody know what a, a cricket ringer is? Has anybody heard of a cricket ringer? There is a little chirp that you can get for like uh, to announce that you have a message, right? But the, there are different decibels, so as you get older, you can't hear certain ones. It, it, honestly, go on and check it out. It's an app you can get for your phone, so you download these little... And so the teacher can't hear the bings going off in the room because they're too old. 
right, really. But all the rest of the kids could hear it going ding, 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 right? And it's really accurate because they're like, okay, if you're between ages 40 and 50, you can't hear this. So I, I click it and I can't hear anything, right? But I hit 50 to, you know, 60, I hit that, I can, you know, hear that. So it's a very interesting how communication through letters has gone over time. But this was a letter, just the basic form of a letter. Most of the New Testament is letters. It's communication between either two individuals or between an individual and a church. A big portion of those letters are written by a guy named Paul who we'll be talking about in just a moment. Uh, Letters are unique because it takes so much time to get something back. You know, they say that a text is expected to be, to be answered within a few minutes, and a Facebook message is expected to be answered within a few hours. Isn't that unique that someone, the other? But this could have been long periods of time because it had to travel long distances. For this ladder, it traveled all the way from Rome, where Paul was a prisoner, all the way to central Turkey. I don't know how many weeks, how many months... It took for that letter to travel, but it took a very long time. And you can imagine what kind of communication might have gone back. It took just as long. Things change. Life changes. And often we just get to hear one side of the story then because it takes so long. I don't know if you've ever done this. You're driving in the car and somebody's in the passenger seat and they get a phone call, right? And they're talking to somebody, but you could only hear them talking. So you only get like half of it, you know? And so... So Christine will answer a phone call, and it's, it's somebody from the church, and she's talking, oh, no, I'm sorry to hear that. I'm like, what's going on? What's happening? I, I, I won't even wait until she, like, clicks and turns off. What's going on? What's happening? Who is it? Who is it? We only get one side today. For the next few weeks, we get one side, one part of the letter. We understand later who, who communicated to him and how it all goes. But today, we're going to be going through the kind of preaching that's called expository. Uh, may not have heard that word before. There's all different kinds of sermons. Uh, I, I really like preaching topical messages because they're a lot of fun because you can kind of go all over a topic, right, and hit it from all different directions. Expository, it's like mowing the lawn, right? You go on one side, you turn down, you come down the other, you go down the next side, you just go verse by verse through the word and let it say what it's going to say. Today we're going to be mowing, well, shoveling. Today we're going to be shoveling through just this season of looking through this passage. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at just this single book, four chapters long, 95 verses long, and hopefully God challenges us in a certain way that changes our lives. I'm confident of that, confident that he guides us. I'm confident that this new year that God is challenging us to see see life through his eyes. Someone during communion last week had mentioned that as they were praying, they had a sense that God was challenging us to see life through his eyes. And today, that is our goal. Some essential ideas we'll be going through today is that God is pursuing you and me. God is pursuing us. Second, God knows your past and loves you right where you are today. Finally, God offers you his favor and his peace. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Paul, that wasn't his given name. That's not the one mom gave him. It was Saul, 
And Saul had a career growing up as a very devout Jew, so devout that he grew up in a family that he went to the finest schools. He learned the Old Testament better than anybody else, right? By the age of 12, he he should have had these scriptures, these ideas memorized word for word. Can you imagine the Old, Old Testament memorized word for word? And all of the expectations and all of the laws, he put it upon everybody else to do that. And he was a militant about it. So militant that even as a young man, he held the clothes as other Jews stoned Stephen to death for his faith. He was present and active in the persecution of those who believed Jesus Christ was God. That was his job, and he was doing it very, very well. You can think, could there be anyone further away from accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? I don't know. But this guy, Saul, his job was to make the church's life hard. He was regularly throwing people in prison. He was active in the persecution of the believer. And here he's walking to find Christians that he can throw in prison on a road to the town of Damascus. And that's where we find him in Acts chapter 9. This is going to be just about 12 verses, so a little longer. So track it with me for a minute because it's important to know the background of the guy who's writing the letter. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem, and he has come here with authority from the high priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and to their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him now how much he must suffer for my name. Imagine that scenario, a militant guy against the church suddenly seeing Jesus, suddenly having that moment of confrontation where life changes. I don't know if any of you have ever had a vision of Jesus. I have not. I've never, like, visually seen him. I I don't know if I've ever met anybody who's seen them. I've met some people along the way who think they believe they might have seen angels. I don't know. That's awesome. Very cool, right? For Paul, it was a moment in time that just changed his life. Some of you are like that. 
you experienced Jesus in such a way there was a time and a place that you can put your finger on it and say, at that day, at that place, at that time, my life was different. We often use language like being converted, being born again, having new life. In those moments with, with Saul, his life changed forever. Everything he had done up to that point was different. It was instantaneous. It was changed because God was pursuing him. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Until we know Jesus, we are lost. We are lost. We lived for many years in the city of Kiev. It's an ancient city. Uh, Some of the earliest churches are around 1,100 in the city. So the roads are set up not for, for cars. Let's put it that way. Right? There's still brick roads. They're, the highway system is not like good. It's not set up with any strategic planning whatsoever. And literally, if you're driving down the road and you miss a single turn, it will take you another hour to get back to that spot. I remember we were here for just a short amount of time, just a couple of weeks, and we were following my, my in-laws to go to a restaurant in, in South Milwaukee, and they took a turn, and I kept going straight, and I got furiously angry. Like, Christine's like, what's wrong? We missed the turn. She's like, it's like one block away. Take a left. It's like, <laughs> you know, I understand what it means to be lost, right? I understand what it means to not know where you are, not where you're going. And probably for the first two to three years in Kiev, we found that the best way to figure out where the city was is just to get lost for two or three hours, right? Without Jesus in our lives, every man, woman, and child in this world is lost. But Saul, in his extreme lostness, Somebody was pursuing him. Somebody's getting instructions right now. That's a great analogy from our sermon. Take a left. Perfect timing. Listen, you may not think it. You may think you randomly came today. You may think that it's just one more thing on your calendar to be here today. I am telling you God is pursuing you. From the moment you were conceived In your mother's stomach, God was pursuing you. And he pursues you still today. Have you experienced Jesus? I'd have loved to experience Jesus the way Saul did. Well, probably not the blind thing or no eating and drinking for three days, but to see Jesus, that would be great. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. Apostles were initially founders of the church, but we also know that they're here today. That's a word we don't use very much, apostle. Uh, Really, the 12 at the beginning, 13 if you count Matthias later, were apostles. These individuals were given a very strict and set expectations of their life. They were to bring the gospel to places where it was not. And those, those 12, actually the 13, but we'll say the 12 because Judas doesn't count, right? The 12 went to some extreme places as far as China. You think about that. Of those 12 that, that Jesus sent out, 
as far as China, North Africa. I stood at the very same place where the church said, Andrew stood here on on the hill of Kiev. From all over the world, those 12 went to the hard places, to the hard things, to, to plant the church where it did not exist. And I do think that that apostolic function still exists. Some of us, like Paul, was challenged to do some very hard things. Paul was challenged to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, those who had no no ethnic background that is Jewish, nor did they have any biblical knowledge of what we consider to the Old Testament today. They were just individuals who had never heard of Jesus at all. Do you know that that world still exists today? Even though our phones are so close to us and yet we can have access to anything, it seems, in the world through the Internet, Still, there are significant portions of the world who do not have the Bible in their text, who do not have access to the gospel. They've never set foot in a church before. They've never seen a church before. And I don't know who Jesus is. They've never heard his name. And so still that idea of an apostle is very important. To go and to go to those places that are hard to finish the task of letting everybody know Jesus. And we're of the posture that says, let's just give them the information and let them choose. When you give to kingdom builders, I know we talk about it all the time, it is intentional around that idea to just create access points for people to hear the good news of Jesus. So when Paul is called an apostle, he knows that his job is to plant the church where it does not exist. He knows that it is to go and do difficult things. But it's interesting because he says that I am an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. By the will of God. I have two kids, and most of you have met both of them. But they couldn't be very, any more different in personality than I, I could have created them. Like, God was so intentional. One, an extreme outro, in, out, ex, extrovert. One, an extreme introvert. I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm a vocational introvert, right? My job makes me an extrovert, but really, a book and a fire in the middle of the woods would be my safe place, Right? They're very, very different. As, a, as, a, as, as kids, they were just as messy, and their rooms were right next to each other in child A, because I won't, like, call one out, right? Child A, I would say, clean your room. And that child would say, yes, Dad, right? And child B, I would say, clean your room. And that child would say, yes, Dad. And I'd walk away, and I'd come back, and child A has not moved an inch. Still on a video game, still food all over the floor, still clothes hanging from the lights, right? And child B, I will walk down, and child B is immaculate, right? The whole room is clean. Everything's very different. In one ask, it's changed, right? My wife knows which one. Most of you know which one's which. (laughs) How do we react when God asks something of us? It's interesting because Paul says, I'm an apostle by the will of God. I wonder if it was his will. Like, would, would I have chosen that? Right? Would I have gone down that path? Would I have done that if I didn't know that God wanted me to? 
I, I don't know. Someday I, I hope to ask him. Because it was a hard job. At one point in Corinthians, he describes how many times he's been, he's been stoned, how many times he's been beaten, how many times he's been shipwrecked, how many times he's been left for dead, how many times he's been beaten naked, right? Left all alone. So I'm thinking, you know, the benefits package is low on apostle. Right? It's not something by the will of Paul, I wanted to do that. It says, he said very clearly, I'm an apostle by the will of God. What in your life was your choice and what in your life was God's choice? As I was looking at this passage, that became a little bit of a challenge to me. I like things easy. I like them my way. Because my way, it's the best way. Right, honey? We all know better. It's not true. My way is seldom the best way. God's way is always the right way. What is my way? What is God's way? God continues to pursue me. And it says, Paul says, this letter's from me, an apostle by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother. Uh, we know a little bit about Timothy because there's another book written just to him. And we know that Timothy's experience of coming to Christ was very different than Paul's, right? Paul had this light, this vision, blind, right? Didn't eat for three days, an amazing story, amazing, another vision about the Gentiles, becomes this great leader in the church. Timothy, his mom and grandma were a believer. His dad was not. He grew up in the church that kind of was in their home, led by women in their home, a little small group. Dad, from all we know, didn't want anything to do with it. But he grew in Christ slowly, so whether it was Paul or Timothy who had very different stories, both of them, though Timothy grew up in this family that loved and followed Jesus, Saul grew up killing Christians. I want you to distinguish something. Both of them needed Jesus. Both of them needed Jesus. God knows your past, loves you right where you are today. Timothy was young and effective, becoming a, uh, an efficient young pastor. In fact, at one point in the letter to Timothy, Paul says, hey, 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 some people are going to think you're too young for this. You're not. Get to work. That's my summary. There are a lot of excuses we say that maybe we should not be doing what God wants us to do right now. Maybe we shouldn't step into a ministry. Maybe we should just be the person who hides a little bit, uh, right? Whether you're Paul, you had this great experience with Jesus, whether you're Timothy, no matter who you are today, God has purpose for you. God has opportunity for you. Don't wait. God wants to use you now, today. To God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, this town... Uh, wasn't big by any means, twenty-five to 30,000 people. Uh, today, it's a, I can't even pronounce the name of the, the town because it's just a little town on the, 
the, what's left over of Colossae, it's uh, Emirazizili, in the middle of Turkey, in the middle of nowhere. The, the city itself doesn't exist. About 20% of the city was Jewish descent. So there were some people in the city that knew of the Old Testament God that was the foundation that we understand and can follow Jesus through the family of Abraham. But to the rest of the city, 80% had no access to the gospel, did not know him at all. It was, a, it was kind of a community that was made up of both professionals and farmers, professional traders that would come through because a major highway would come through the middle of their town. They traded a lot in fabric because in that part of the, of the country of Turkey, they had rivers that were really high in minerals that would stain clothing purple. And if you know anything about purple, people like the color purple. I mean, you like purple. All right, there's some purple people here. It's a song. But because of that, a lot of people came through to trade there, but also the, the, because the soil was so rich, there was a lot of farming that was going on. So you had, like, regular farming people. You had big trading people coming through. It was a very active, active area. And it's interesting, Paul had never been there. In fact, later we'll learn that there's a guy named Epaphras, who actually started the church and then went to, went to see Paul to visit him and told him about the church and what was going on. And you imagine long periods of time, Rome, all the way to the middle of Turkey, talking about what was happening in the church. And he would speak to them and he would say, holy, you are holy people. He didn't know them. He could have been a bunch of jackals in that amount of time, right? Acting really poorly. Here's the thing about holiness. Holiest, holiness is a state of being and not a reflection on today's success. How many of you have had a day when you weren't very successful serving God lately? Welcome to the club. And yet, in the eyes of God, he calls you holy. Like that's not not based upon just me being successful today, but holiness is a state of being because of what Christ has done for us. John 1, verses 12 through 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Jesus makes us holy. I wonder what Paul would write to us today, to the church of Port Washington. I don't know what he would call us, right? I guess we're the township of Port Washington, the holy people. Some of you say, eh, I don't know if I can describe this season of my life as holy. But Jesus sees us that way through the eyes of the cross, through the blood. We venture, we work very hard to follow him. You notice that at this point, he says, Christ Jesus, that's the name that is given. In Christ Jesus, not Jesus Christ. And those names kind of get flipped around. Did anybody wonder that before? Like, why is it Jesus Christ in some places and Christ Jesus the other places? It's the emphasis that the writer is making on who Jesus is. In some moments, he wants to emphasize the fact that Jesus is God, the Messiah. And therefore, then it's Christ Jesus. But you know what? Jesus was also their friend. 
who they bummed around with and spent all the time and laughed and cried and ate together and slept out in the middle of fields together. And in those times, he's just Jesus, my friend, Jesus Christ. Here, Paul wants to emphasize that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the one who has made all the difference. And he says, grace and peace to you from God our Father. I don't know if there's two greater uh, statements in a phrase that we could find grace and peace. We're going to be spending a lot of time in there through Colossians. But grace and peace to you from God our Father. We use those words a lot here. We like those words, grace and peace. Grace, by its very definition, is unmerited favor. When we receive grace from God through Jesus Christ, by just the simple act of believing and repenting, in other words, turning away from and turning towards God, that act of faith, we receive grace. In other words, it's nothing we can earn. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more, nothing you can do to make God love you less. God loves you, God loves you, and he desires to give us grace. I need grace, I don't know about you. It is unmerited, I can't earn it. But the other part is just as important. I love the fact that grace is unmerited, but I love the fact that it's favor. I didn't earn it, and he's on my side, right? I don't know if you've got those friends that you would love to go to war with, right? If I got to go to war, I'm bringing this guy, right? I've got a few through, when I was a kid, it was Jack Plakowski. Jack was a 340-pound, like, offensive lineman. He was scary just to look at, right? It's soft, soft heart, but I want to go to battle with Jack, right? I want him behind me, right? I had this one car, I was driving when I was a kid one time, and I had Jack in the car with me, and I was driving, and you know, sometimes you're driving the strip in one of these small towns like we had up in Green Bay, and these kids cut us off like they wanted to fight us, right? And so I got out of the car, and the kids got out of the car, and Jack got out of the car, and they got back in the car and drove away. (laughs) Right? Man, I love Jack. God's on your side. Yeah, but Paul, you don't know. No, God's on your side. No, you don't understand what's going on in here. You don't know. No, God's on your side. We got the unmerited part, like, yeah, I can't earn it. But sometimes we forget that God is for you. He's your biggest fan. I know you fail. I know I fail. We struggle with so many things in our lives. God is for us. He's our biggest fan. We get out of the car. He gets out of the car next to us. He's a lot bigger than Jack. Grace. And peace. We come together. We experience and celebrate grace. All the songs we sang, the communion today, it was all about grace. It was all about the cross. It was all about what Jesus has done for us. So we don't have to do anything but have faith in him and turn and repent and follow him. That is the foundation, unmerited. We have complete favor. He believes in us completely. And because of grace, we can have peace. No matter what you're going through, the deep sigh says he's with me through this 
consistent pain, consistent struggle, habitual sin. Peace. His peace is with you. God offers to you his favor and his peace today. Peace is something that happens here, right, between the ears. Peace is a little bit easier for some people than it is for others. People with a bad memory like myself, we're great with peace, right? Because we forget. Some of you, you don't forget. You remember every word. Remember every action, you remember every failure, and you lay in bed and you stare at the ceiling and it just over and over and over again. No peace, no peace, no peace, no peace, no peace. That's where we need the grace. Right? Grace is foundationally pardoning somebody who just doesn't deserve it. So God does that for us. Let me truly, truly encourage you To find peace here, you've got to be willing to pardon other people that don't deserve it. People have hurt. People continue to hurt us. But the ability to pardon them, to give them grace, and here's the hardest one, to find peace. Sometimes you've got to pardon yourself. Because we're our biggest critic. If only I didn't do that. If only I hadn't said that. If only my life was just a little different. Grace and peace. God offers his favor today. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. We're going to close in prayer in these moments. If I would describe these two first verses, they are pregame. They're pregame. Right? How many of you are going to watch the Packer game today? Raise your hand up. All right? Bears have won four out of the last five, so come on. So the Packers. <laughs> this is all pregame. Here's the thing. When I watch pregame, I get to hear all of the inner stories of what's happening, the the setup for the game, right? Like who's injured and what's going on and who's playing against each other and what's the whole format and is it raining and how's good is the, how good is the field and what's the room going to be like? Is it going to be sunny? Is it going to be hot? Are there a lot of Packer fans at this game or not so much? Or I want to hear all the details. This last couple of verses and the verses next week, it's all pregame. It's all getting us ready. And here's the thing about pregame. I don't know about you. I don't like watching it. I've been reading all week. I know I can, I can, I can host pregame. It tells us what's important. It tells us what's going to be happening, what's really happening behind it all. You think, how in the world did we just talk about two verses that were just an introduction to a letter? It is an introduction to what's really going to be going forward, grace and peace to us today. Here's what I observe. Now almost 
almost 30 years of pastoring. So no matter how long we participate in this great family we call church, which is a great family, we always seem to struggle with grace and peace. We always seem to struggle to really believe that God is pursuing us. We struggle to really believe that God knows our past and loves us right where we are today. We really struggle with the fact that God favors us and desires to give us grace, peace. So I'm just going to ask you today, where are you at? Are you, are you at a place where you're really willing to receive and experience grace? Are you experiencing a life of peace? Because I can tell you he offers it today. For Paul, it all started with this amazing, significant, one-moment experience. For Timothy, we don't really have the storyline behind it, but we have to assume it was more gradual. He grew up in the church. He grew up with great Christian families. Both of them needed Jesus. Both of them needed grace and peace. I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment, and it's a prayer that is call it a a responsive prayer. Maybe you've never been in a church that does a responsive prayer, but basically what it is, is I'm going to pray some words and you pray the exact same words after. And it has the construction of a prayer that is what we call a salvation prayer. A conversion prayer that basically says in, in these types of words, there's no magic in these words, in these types of words are these ideas that I really want to receive and experience grace my faith in Jesus and to follow him. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask us today in just a moment for everybody in the room, some of you have prayed this kind of prayer. Maybe it's a part of your weekly process. Maybe it's something you've never prayed before. We're all going to pray it out loud. And here's the thing. It's important to confess these words with our mouth, but it has to be an expression of our heart. So let's pray them together. I literally wrote this this week. There's nothing unique about it but this is our prayer would you pray it with me Heavenly Father thank you for sending Jesus I understand that he came to earth for me thank you for pursuing me thank you for providing Jesus so I can be set free from all of my sin and all of my failure and have a new life. I have failed. I have sinned. I repent and change. Help me to follow you.